Good morning, Woodland Church. Those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Mike. Um, you may know me as Michael or Mariah's father. Uh, or if you know Day, I'm Day's husband. Or if you walk out the back doors, I'm the guy standing in the back at the counter. Uh, during the 10 o'clock service, I'm usually with uh, your kids in uh, Timber Ridge. Uh, prior to that, I used to pastor Carlton Assembly of God on Grafton Road. I was pastor there for about nine years. Prior to that, I was a youth pastor. And now I'm an ele elementary school teacher. Uh, I work for a charter school in Dearborn Heights. So I don't plan to have a lot of uh, deep theological exposition because I'm limited to telling the difference between a noun and a verb. So if you'll bear with me, um, I believe God has a message uh, for us this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and read verses 1 through 20. Uh, please stand with me uh, as we, uh, in honor of God's word. Chapter 5, verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Version. They went across the lake to the region of the Gesserines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. But Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to get into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those ten of the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that we live in a country that we have the opportunity to uh, hear freely the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint it. You would open our hearts to receive from you, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us, that you would uh, burden us, that you would open our eyes uh, so we can see with your eyes, Lord, and that we would leave here this morning uh, changed and transformed by the power of God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I love Woodland Church. I was thinking uh, as I was uh, in worship, uh, oh, how he loves me, meditating on the love of God. And uh, I love Pastor Mark. Uh, does such a wonderful job in worship, uh, bringing us right there to, to the, the presence of the Lord. 
Uh, I appreciate Pastor Rick so much. He's so sensitive to God's. Uh, when he prays, I, I said in the last service that uh, he preaches my sermon before I start. Um, pastor Corey, love Pastor Corey as a youth pastor. He never gets rattled. It's like he's got an even keel. You can bring anything. It's like, oh, okay. Which is an important trait to have uh, as a youth pastor is to not let things rattle you because how many know teenagers are filled with drama? Uh, I appreciate so much Pastor uh, Clanton and Becky and their leadership of, of this church and uh, for the opportunity that I have to speak. So um, if you know anything about me, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I, used to, uh, I used to wait tables at, at Chi-Chi's restaurant and write my sermons on beverage napkins. Um, today I brought a, a binder, so buckle up. It's going to be a long day. Um, pastor Corey uh, preached last week on a life of greatness. I believe his text was from 1 Peter, and um, Pastor Mark did a wonderful Bible study from the book of James titled Warning uh, about not judging others. And I felt a little pressure this week to keep up with the Joneses. And uh, Pastor uh, Mark had called me and wanted a title of my message. And, um, you know, it's been a while since I've done this Sunday morning thing, so it takes me, it takes me a little longer to do it. Uh, so I was a little... Confused. I, I came up with some, some, some titles that I found uh, for this story of the demoniac and the demons being cast in the pigs. How about the day the price of pork went up? <laughs> or when pigs fly? Or as an elementary school teacher, the true story of the three little pigs? Or if you do it from the pig's perspective in a pig's eye? Someone talked to me after service and said, how about... Swimming pigs, something like that. So um, as, an as an elementary teacher, I'm, I don't preach every Sunday morning any longer. I spend time with children and, like I said, teaching them the difference between nouns and verbs, motivating them to read, going through simple calculations. My big thing is learning regrouping. Uh, it's amazing to me children can do the regrouping uh, for addition, well, when they do subtraction, it's like you're speaking a foreign language. It's like, well, we just, it's the same principle. We do backwards. I don't, they don't get it. I've discovered there's a lot of things that kids don't get. Uh, if you've been around kids, you're starting to discover this. Kids nowadays, it's probably just showing that I'm just getting old. But uh, I noticed that kids don't do things that we used to take for granted, like how to tie their shoes. It's like, you're in second grade. You can tie your shoes. I understand, you know, you make the bunny ears and you... Learn that in kindergarten, second grade, you should be able to do it. Certainly you should do it in fifth grade, but, you know, tie your shoes. Uh, they don't know their phone number anymore. Uh, I still remember my phone number from where I grew up in Livonia, 313-464-9829. Uh, still remember that. Now, you could dial that. I, I've always wanted to do that. Who's there? Hey, I used to. They don't know uh, their address. They don't even know the city that they live in sometimes. Uh, we are in a charter school, and we take kids from uh, other communities. Uh, we're in Dearborn Heights, but we draw kids from Inkster or Romulus or Detroit. And it's kind of important when they get on the bus, because if they're going to Inkster, you don't want to send them to Detroit. So where do you live? I don't know. When I teach about cities and communities, and I talk about cities, states, the difference between states and countries, uh, Mexico is not a state. Um, it's just different. When I grew up, we always knew cities. We, we followed sports. Um, I knew where New York was because of the New York, anybody? Yankees. 
Boston, Red Sox, because I hated those, those teams. They always beat us. Football, Dallas and Texas, because the Dallas Cowboys. Because I'm a big Lions fan. Pastor Rick, this is the year, so you know. <laughs> Super Bowl, you can take that to the bank, but don't, don't go to, if it's a river bank, take it to the river bank. But this is the year the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Even Montreal and Canada, I knew we were Montreal because the Canadians are Toronto Maple Leafs. We grew up with sports. It was, it was something that even as, even in lower elementary school, we were always, I was always into sports. I had this, um, this sticker book that I had in first grade, and I knew all the players on the Lions because I got stickers of Greg Landry and uh, uh, Mike Lucci and Lem Barney and all these guys. We knew all that stuff because we followed sports. Today, they don't. I asked them, uh, you know, about basketball. Don't you like basketball? Yeah, LeBron James. They know LeBron James. Who does he play for? I don't know. They don't know. If they do know, they don't know what city it's in. Doesn't he play for Cleveland? No, he doesn't play for Cleveland. He plays for the Cavaliers. Even teenagers today don't know things that we think they should know. Like geography, direction, a map, you know. Um, my daughter went downtown for something. She was in Detroit with her friends, and she texted me and told me she was going out to Steak and Shake. And, of course, I made an assumption, you know, because I live in Trenton. There's a Steak and Shake right there at Weston Allen Road. So that's where she's going to be, right? She'll be home in, like, 15, 20 minutes. She was in Clawson. Why are you in Clawson? Well, it was the closest one. The GPS said it was the closest one. I said, it's not close to, to here. I said, you're another hour away from home. Oh, okay. We just got our food. Okay. They don't know. They don't know how to read a map. And then my brother-in-law said they don't know how to fold a map. I didn't want to tell him. I didn't know how to fold a map. So he's older than I am. And the question is, is do we know basic things about our faith? Do we know what we believe? Do we know who we are in Christ? Do we remember what it was like before we knew Jesus? Do we know things like theology? Do we know our distinctives in the Assemblies of God? Do we know what it means to be Pentecostal? Have you ever talked to anybody about things like that? I've discovered in our society uh, civil discourse is a thing of the past. It's hard to have a conversation with people about things. They love to argue. Did you ever notice that? It's like the phrase, we can agree to disagree is a thing of the past. It's, we can't agree to disagree. You're just wrong. And you can't be my friend anymore, and we won't have a conversation any longer. And the thing is, it started to come in between friendships. Sometimes it affects our church relationships and even our family. People are so passionate, and people love to argue. And that brings me to our first slide here. This is one that brings a lot of division. And every millennial in this room said, who are those guys? Had this conversation with a friend of my kids today, uh, this week. And he was like, no, nah, it's black and white. We don't watch black and white movies. It's the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges. Who's funny? The Marx Brothers are funnier. Oh, it's got to be Groucho because he's so witty. Or Three Stooges, Curly. Or you could be like my sister and say, neither one of them are funny. Or it could be the second one. This causes a lot of division in my family. Right here. Star Trek, Star Wars. 
I was going to call somebody out, but I'm going to move along. I'm not going to do that. Just so you know, I saw you sitting there, Devin. But, you know, especially since that last movie came out, that's something that you can argue about. Here's the one that causes the most division, I think. Coke, Pepsi. I said in the first service, you want to have some fun? Uh, buy pastor an ice cold Pepsi when he comes home. Let him have that. And you can move to the next one there. We as Christians get caught up sometimes in things. And I just want to take a little bit about a little time this morning, uh, a little general instruction on some things that we may have forgotten, and a little general reminder of who we are in Christ. And our purpose as Christians, um, by taking a look at this text, our purpose as Christians is not to argue people in the kingdom of God. Uh, so I don't want to see anybody after service having somebody pinned down with their arm behind their back and saying, you must be saved. Ask me what you must do to be saved. Don't want to thump them with the Bible or your iPhone because you have your Bible app on your iPhone. It's not, that's not our purpose. It's not about, Christianity is not about us being right. It's about a person. It's not about winning the argument. It's about bringing people to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so I want to take time to look at someone that had an encounter with Jesus and was never the same again. That's my first point here. Power. An encounter with Jesus is powerful. Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is a powerful thing to encounter Jesus in church. We must remember this. The word sinner today is a pejorative. People get offended when you call them a sinner. And we have to do something about that to where we communicate the fact of them being a sinner uh, without the intent to offend, that they understand what it is. Being a sinner, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, I don't call people sinners because they're less than me. I call them a sinner because that's what the Bible says, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one. C.H. Spurgeon says, our sinnership is that emptiness into which the Lord pours his mercy. We are... We are exhorted to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Mark 16, 15, proclaim the gospel to all creation. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, we are to preach to those, to save those who believe. Uh, we are to preach the gospel, it is the power of God. 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He also says in Romans, how can they call on him who they have not, have that, that they have not believed? How can they hear without a preacher. It's important for us to continue to proclaim the gospel, to understand that we are sinners, that Jesus died for our sin, and that he'll forgive all our sin if we come to him uh, and believe what he did on the cross and apply that blood to our, to, our, to our sin, to cleanse our hearts. He'll forgive all our sins, and in the resurrection that he rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. We need to get away from winning arguments. We need to focus and emphasize instead 
bringing people to Jesus. In our text, I want you to notice, it's in your bulletin. In verse 2, it says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So the boat pulls up. He doesn't even get out of the boat, and bam, the man is right there. The, the demoniac that was in the tombs ran to meet him. It says in verse 6 that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees. So I want you to notice that the demoniac came to him. Secondly, he had a need. He lived in the tombs. I often complain about how small my house is. How many know that the tombs is probably the most fun place to be? Anybody ever go to a cemetery at night? No? Things we used to do as a kid. It's not a place I'd like to spend time at. Um, no one could subdue him. He would cry out night and day. He would cut himself with stones. It says that he broke chains and broke shackles. How many know that even though he was able to break his chains and break his shackles on his own and that no one could subdue him, how many know he was still shackled? He was still bound in chains. They were just chains you couldn't see. He was desperate. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. How do you know about Jesus? Maybe he had heard about Jesus. Jesus was a famous guy, right? By the time Mark chapter 5, he had done lots of things. I don't know how he would have heard about him in the tombs. I don't know your Wi-Fi work. When you, I'm sorry. Maybe you heard about Jesus, that Jesus had the power to heal, that Jesus had the power to transform, power to calm the sea, power to raise the dead, power to deliver. Maybe like the woman with the issue of blood, she had heard of his deeds and was not to let the opportunity pass him by. Or maybe there was something about Jesus that caused the demons that were living inside him to tremble. And for that moment when they relinquished their hold on him, he said, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass by. And he ran to the source of that power. It's a powerful thing to encounter Jesus. There is transforming power in the person of Jesus Christ. We are not to focus on doctrine and teaching and distinctives. We are to focus on bringing people to the person of Jesus Christ where there is transforming power. We do not need to convince people who are suffering that they are suffering. We need not to convince people who are in pain that they are in pain. We don't need not to convince those people who are desperate that they are desperate or those who are hungry and thirsty that they are hungry and thirsty. We need to show them where they can get deliverance. I have my next slide here, Ed. This is Pilgrim in John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim Progress. I mean, this is Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. No, I'll go back. I'm sorry. Jumped the gun. If you didn't read the story, this is where Pilgrim, oh, he went back. Thank you, Ed. How many know Christian is aware of that burden on his back? How many know that if you were carrying that burden, you'd be aware? He's aware of that. God made him aware of that. He's holding the Bible in his hand. The Bible made him aware of his burden. And all of a sudden, he's not focusing on 
oh, I have a burden. He's focusing on, what can I do to get this burden off my back? Who will show me how to be delivered from it? And he met a man called the evangelist. The evangelist didn't convince him, hey, did you know you have a huge burden on your back? Evangelist told him where he must go to be relieved of his burden. Fully confident that if Christian followed his direction, he would be delivered from his burden. You see, church, that's one thing that we need to, to remember and understand. That people that don't know Jesus, they have a burden. People that are suffering, they're suffering. People that are in pain, they're in pain. People that are lost are lost. And we need to have the confidence to point them to Jesus Christ, fully confident that Jesus will meet their need. The next slide here, Christian goes to the cross, and you see the burden just falls off his back. It is the power of the cross, it is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that sets us free of our burden. Of course, if you know the, the analogy, the imagery, the burden is the burden of sin that we carry. The cross represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sin. Jesus' death on the cross cleansed our sin. Though we are scarlet, we should be washed as white as snow. That's where the term being washed in the blood comes from. His blood can make the foulest clean. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christian was fully aware of his burden before he approached the evangelist. He had, he had a need. But he also had faith. He had faith in the power of the cross to deliver him. The demoniac had faith in the power of Jesus to deliver him. It was the demons that were crying out, Oh, Jesus, Son of God, you know, don't torture me. It was the demoniac that brought them to that point. It was his faith that brought them to the feet of Jesus. Understand that Jesus says, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. The heavy lifting is done by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to persuade and convince and argue and arm twist and bully and thump with our Bible people into the kingdom of God. We need to point them to the cross. Being fully confident that because the cross delivered me, it will deliver you as well. There's a song we used to sing in the church, there's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. And then in the refrain, we'd sing it three times. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. We need to understand that when people come to Jesus, they can be transformed. They are never the same again. When the demoniac encountered Jesus, he was delivered. When the leper encountered Jesus, he was cleansed. When the lame man encountered Jesus, he was restored to the ability to walk. When the blind man encountered Jesus, he could see again. When Jairus' daughter encountered Jesus, she was brought to life again. We need to quit trying to argue people into the kingdom of God. We need to bring them to an encounter with the risen Christ. The thief on the cross encountered Jesus. He was redeemed and brought into paradise. 
We have to understand that Jesus is in the power of delivering burdens. He's in the, pro- he's in the, in the uh, process of uh, breaking chains. Peter, when the church prayed for him, all of a sudden the chains were loosed and the angel guided him out of jail. He walked right out of jail. Paul and Silas, they prayed and their chains were loosed. An earthquake came and their chains were loosed. And the jailer came in and he got delivered from his chains. Jesus has the power to break every chain. And when Jesus breaks the chain, it stays broke. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. One of the things that we are famous for doing as Christians is we wrap those chains around us again. But remember, they're still broken. He breaks the power of canceled sin. That sin was dealt with on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. And as Christians, we are witnesses to that. We have a testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. We are salt. We are light. We are salt to make people thirsty for Jesus, and we are light to guide them to their deliverance. We need to focus our attention on getting people to have an encounter with the risen Christ. I had a conversation with this just shortly. They asked me, do I really believe that you can have an encounter with Jesus? Do you really believe that? I really believe it. I was 16 years old. I had an encounter with Jesus. I'm 52. I've been walking with him every day. I am not the same person that I was. I met Jesus, and I was never the same. I said this in the first service. I'll say it again since I mentioned that. Uh, I was 16, and as 16, I was, I was, mature, was immature. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of things that I realized as a Christian I couldn't do anymore. And my friends didn't want to be my friends anymore. And uh, the things that uh, I thought were fun, I wasn't getting invited to anymore. And it was like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore, this, this Jesus thing. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's my senior year. I'm going to have fun. I met a girl. Life's going to be good. During that whole time, though, something hadn't changed. Something I knew. Things that I thought were fun weren't fun anymore because I knew I had met Jesus and I had been transformed. As teachers, we have a saying, fake it till you make it. You're supposed to teach something. I don't know how to teach that. I'll just fake it till you make it. I was trying to fake being a sinner again, walking in the... I couldn't fake it because I had met Jesus and it changed. Everything was different. A transformation took place with our demoniac. He was dressed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Bring me to my second point. Privilege. An encounter with Jesus gives us privileged access. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. In our text at verse 15, when they came to Jesus, when the people heard about the pigs and they ran to see Jesus, they saw the man who was possessed of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. There was a transformation that took place. The people were awed by the power of Jesus. They were awed by the power of the pigs that had gone off the cliff. They did not pay attention to the privilege that was given to this man. Yes, he had been delivered. Yes, he received mercy. But now he was sitting at the side of Jesus. He had been given a place of honor and privilege. If you read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus was not an easy person to get, get close to. Zacchaeus climbed up the tree just to see him as he went by. The woman with the issue of blood had to press through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. The man that was born lame was brought in by his friends through the hole in the roof. And here is this demoniac just sitting by his side. Christianity is not about religious theory. It's about being a child of God. Understand that Jesus has transforming power. And one of the things that we have to remember is that power has transformed us once we put our faith in him. You know the story of the prodigal son? How many know the story of the prodigal son? Yeah, we know the story of the prodigal son. There once was a man that had two sons. The younger said, Father, give me my share of the estate. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want it now so I can live the good life. Once he got it, he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. How many know bad things never come at the most opportune moment? My car never breaks down when I have money in the bank. It always breaks down when I'm just trying to make it to payday. He began to be in need, and so he went out, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to his fields to feed pigs. Here we go with the pigs again. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. How many know that he was pretty bad off if he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating? What do they call pig food? Slop. It, it yeah, that doesn't appeal to me either. But it appealed to him. How I many know you have to be really hungry if you're going to consider eating that? It says here in verse 17, when he came to his senses. That's where he had the aha moment. Again, the demoniac ran to meet Jesus. He came to Jesus. Here, this man came to his senses. He realized his need, and then he remembered his father. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? They're treated well, and here I am starving to death. He didn't talk about how he got there. He's not focusing on what he, he just realized the character of his father. He remembered his father. He was in need. Where does he go? Where do you go when you get your car fixed? You go to somebody that fixes cars. I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
Again, his similarity between this passage and our text. Here when the demoniac saw Jesus from afar off, he ran that way because that was the source of power to deliver him of his need. And here we have the father looking for, Jesus, looking for his son from afar off. Understand that the father never stopped being the father. The father never changed. His need was still there to be with his son. The vacant place that his son had left is still there. Those of you that have children understand what that means, that your children are your children. doesn't matter whether they grow up and they go away. They are still your children. There's a place that they hold in your heart that cannot be placed with anyone else. He threw his, his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. You know the story? The brother had a, an issue with that. And he responds to his son. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours is, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If you have more than one child, you understand this, that you love your children, you love them in different ways, but you don't love one more than the other. My daughter has my sense of humor, so I go, we tell jokes back and forth. When she's up at college, uh, one of the things I do is I shoot her dumb jokes, and she sends them back to me. That's just kind of how we are. My son and I have a different relationship, but I don't love one of them more than the other. They are always my children. That doesn't change. Doesn't change when, when Michael went off to school first and he was up at, at, at college and Mariah was, I didn't love Mariah more because she was here every day. The father didn't change. His son was missing. The son never ceases to be the son even though he was lost. His proximity to the father changes but never his identity. Understand that first is that we are children of God. The Father never changes. Secondly, we want to understand that access to the Father is our privilege. Paul says we can cry out, Abba, Father. If you remember JFK, when he was president of the United States, there was a picture in Life magazine of John John underneath the playing underneath the desk of the Oval Office. That's a great illustration um, JFK is the most powerful man in the world, and access to the president is limited and very hard to, to get. It's even harder today than it was then. John John had it. He's playing trucks underneath his desk in the Oval Office. Because John, John John, was his son. Access is the privilege. John John had access to his father whenever he wanted. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened us for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have the great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. He uses a lot of Old Testament uh, analogies, metaphors, 
of the tabernacle and the, t- and the temple where access to God was limited by the veil, by the curtain that stood between the holy place and the most holy place, um, the presence of God. Only the high priest could go beneath that curtain, and he could only do it once a year, and he could only do it with the blood of the atonement. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. Access is open to all, not just the high priest, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to everyone, all men, because God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to to repentance. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have been transformed, you have been born again, you are a child of God, and never forget that son never ceases to be a son, because the father doesn't change. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Church, we need to remember not only that God is able to do what we ask him to do. Because sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we forget because the issue, the problem, the circumstance is so big beyond our ability to to deal with it. It's not bigger than God, though, is it? God is able to deal with it. God is in the business of dealing with it. God is the one who put this world, spoke it into creation. Sometimes we wonder, will he do it? So we're afraid to ask. Well, I don't know if God cares about that. I don't know if God would do that. Anybody like that? In the ministry, I had no problem praying for people, praying for their needs. Bigger the need, then I had to have bigger faith, right? Came to things in my own life, it was like, <laughs> my faith was like this. God hadn't changed, though, had he? He's still able to, Right? transformation was I am a child of God I have access so I need to have my faith in that and the writer in Hebrews says to go boldly into the throne go boldly in there put your request before him boldly why because the issue that separated me from God has been dealt with by the cross and the blood of Jesus there now is nothing that separates me from God from the love of God so go right in so when I pray I need to remember who I am Matthew chapter 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I love how the Amplified says this. He says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. We have to get away from this idea. We, when we pray, we are not beggars. When we pray, we are not subjects before a feared monarch. We are beloved sons with special privilege. Jesus tells us that if we have faith like a little child, right? How many have ever had little children ask you for something? How many have ever been in line at the grocery store? And they got that big display of everything, candy. 
all the time. When that child wants candy, they don't ask one time. And when you say, oh, no, they don't take no for an answer. They don't even do it when you change your tone of voice. Lord, I have a need. Go boldly. Ask him. Know who you are in Christ. That's where our faith comes in. And what God wouldn't tell us that we're his sons and call out Abba Father if he didn't mean it, if he didn't want us to come, if he didn't want to gather us around him. We need to know who we are, church. We need to know who he is. We need to understand that our issues, our burdens are not too big for him and that our God does care about our needs. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Bring them to him. I understand, just because it's something that you want, something you ask for, doesn't always mean that it's going to happen. I don't give my kids everything they want. We know that. doesn't mean that we don't bring it to them anyway. Because what do we do when we bring it to him? We commune with him. We experience his presence. We experience his love for us. And he gives us peace. Remember the three Hebrew children? Our God is able to deliver us. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow. Because I know who he is. And I know who I am. And you don't scare me, Nebuchadnezzar. We need to understand our privilege. We need to understand our status as sons. We need to understand our identity. Genesis 1.27, this world likes to try to confuse us. It's a big issue in this world. It's not an issue. We are created by God. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created us. We are special and unique. Life has value because God made it. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist uses verbs like knit and woven. Both are activities that take Special care, special concentration. They're done with care. You're not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are created in the image of God with purpose. I'm the youngest of five children. My oldest brother is 12 uh, 12 years older than me. My sister is six years older than me. So I was kind of like a surprise. But I was not a mistake. I was not an accident. God created me. God has a plan for my life. I am his child. I am made in his image. And he has purpose for me. I have value because God created me. But it doesn't just stop there. Romans 5.8, you see at the right time when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, 
that God valued me so much. We teach this in kids' church with the children. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loved me so much that he gave his son. Christ died for me while I was still a sinner. It wasn't anything that I did. I can't earn it, my salvation. It is by the grace of God. Do you not know you were not your own? You were bought with a price. You have value because you are, were uh, paid for. You were redeemed by the precious blood of the Son of God. Next. My identity is in Jesus. The world's upside down. Don't get disoriented and confused by the din of this world, by the noise that is made out there. Don't go out looking for yourself to try to find yourself. You're looking for yourself, you only find loneliness and despair. You don't believe me? Look at the world today. It's filled with loneliness and despair as people try to find themselves. Look for Christ. You will find him and everything else you seek, C.S. Lewis. My identity is in Jesus Christ. I love this image, this, this graphic with the fingerprints. Our fingerprints are unique. That's how law enforcement can tell who is who. When a crime, I love crime shows, they dust for what? Fingerprints. They look for DNA because it's unique. It's your unique marker. Every one of us is unique. And in the middle is that cross. My identity is in Jesus. I am uniquely created by God. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I am a child of the King. Doesn't matter what the world says. That should not be shaken. I am uniquely created by God. I'm loved unconditionally. I'm saved by grace. I'm washed in his blood. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I'm regenerated. I have value. I am a king's kid. My identity is in Jesus. The man was sitting at his side, dressed and in his right mind. He used to run in the tombs. They used to try to chain him up. He used to cut himself with stones. He used to cry out all night and all day. God transformed him. We need to remember that God transformed us. And that does not change based on my circumstances. It does not change based on my feelings. Third point. You might want to let kids, kids church know, I'm going to be done early. Third point. Now we can stretch it. I'm just a little humor. Perception. Third point is perception. Encounter with Jesus changes our perception towards others. Changes the way we view the world. Changes the way that we view other people. Changes the way that we view ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 so now we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If you read that text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see Paul talks a little bit, he goes down a little bit further. He says, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. You know the world views Christ from a worldly point of view. Whatever the hot topic is, is out, they got something to say about Jesus with it. How many have seen the signs, Jesus is a socialist, Jesus is a refugee, Jesus is a homeless person. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the resurrected Savior 
of mankind. We know that. We have had the encounter with that. The demoniac knew that. He had an encounter with Jesus. He was transformed. He was never the same again. We have an encounter with Jesus. We're transformed. We're never the same again. We cannot continue to view things from a worldly point of view. As Jesus was getting to the boat, in verse 18 in our text, the man who had been, past tense, demon-possessed, begged to go with him. That's what he wanted to do. He had just encountered Jesus. He wanted to be with him. How many can remember back to the time when you first got saved, when you first knew Jesus? You wanted to be with him all the time. I remember my mother used to drag me to church in the morning. Drag me, literally drag me out of bed to get me to go to church with her. Literally. When I got saved, I went to church on Sunday, all on my own. I went to church Sunday night. We had midweek service on Wednesday night. I went to that. I had a friend that went to church on Thursday night, so I went to church on Thursday night. I met a girl who went to church on Tuesday night, so I went on Tuesday night. I found a Bible study on Monday, and another girl I liked, her mother, did a Bible study on Friday. I wanted to be in the presence of God and learn all I could about Jesus. My mother was flabbergasted. Two things she couldn't get me to do. Go to church in the morning or go to school. She had a big laugh when I went to the ministry and then I started being a teacher. <laughs> Christianity is not about arguing people to our point of view. It's not about winning an argument and being right. It's not about somebody saying, oh, and me saying, I told you so. Christianity is about rescuing the lost. This man wanted to go on the boat. He wanted to spend more time with Jesus. He wanted to know more about this power that changed his life and transformed him. And she said, no. No. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This kind of puzzled me. But remember, what did the people do? Didn't they chase Jesus out of town? Weren't they afraid of his power? This man was left behind as a witness of God's love and his mercy. And he went out and told the people. He went out, as Paul says, being an ambassador, since he knows what it is to know God. And that God reconciled to himself. He had the ministry of reconciliation. See, we need to not count people's sins against them. God doesn't count their sins against them. We need to quit looking at people as black and white, right and wrong. We need to quit trying to uh, win arguments and start demonstrating God's love and his power. We need to understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against, we, we wrestle against instead principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our perception needs to change. We have this picture of the world. The world's upside down. Wrong is right. Right is wrong. You read the newspaper and you go, really? That's what's so important today? Or you have a conversation with people and you go, you really believe that? 
When you start talking about the power of God, they look at you and go, yeah, you're just going to pray it away? What? You're not going to turn that world upside down or right side up. That's God's power to do that. Go to our next slide. Your job is to view it through God's perception, how God sees the world. That's the whole issue where it comes with taking up your cross. It's no longer I that live. It's not what I want. It's what purpose do you have for me? That's what the whole idea of loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, praying for those who persecute you. Because those people are not your enemy. Those people are people in need of transformation by the power of the cross of Jesus. We used to sing a song back in the day. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. I love that. Jude says that. Snatch them from the fire. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. They have a need. They are carrying a burden. If they're not aware of their burden, if they're not aware of their need, God hasn't made them aware of it yet. That's why he tells us we're salt. What does salt do? You eat pretzels, you eat potato chips, you eat popcorn. What happens? You get thirsty. So part of our job as the church is to make people thirsty. And I've discovered you don't really have to say a whole lot. People watch you for a little bit of time. You may not know they're watching you, but sooner or later, they will come up and ask you. When I was a youth pastor, I used to have to work. I told you I waited tables at Chi-Chi's restaurant. What I didn't tell you is soon after that, I started waiting tables at the Olive Garden. Their beverage napkins were a little bit bigger. I wrote my sermons on it, got all my three points. And I had a day where I had a hard day. How many have a day where you work hard, you have a hard day at work, um, you really don't like the people you work with very much, you don't really like the people that you serve very much, and you just had a bad day. I had a bad day. I came home from work, and I, I used to wear an apron, and my apron was all covered with spaghetti pasta sauce and all kinds of stuff, and I was just, I was mad. And I used to have this habit of stopping at 7-Eleven and I'd buy a pop on the way home from, from work, Mountain Dew. Did you ever hear of diet, caffeine-free Mountain Dew? What's the point? Water. I used to buy a Mountain Dew. So I went to, went to the, I came home from the Olive Garden, had a bad day, I went in the cabinet, got my pop, slammed it on the, the counter, and I went to pay for my Mountain Dew. And the cashier looked at me and she says, you're a pastor, aren't you? aren't you? Was it my countenance? Was it my attire? What in the world makes you think that I'm a pastor? Well, when I was a youth pastor, when we first started the church, um, a lot of things happened when we first started the church. Uh, we uh, were part of a, uh, what do they call it, a directory, a church directory. And they had just done the church directory. And you remember when we went to, the church, to another church to get our picture taken so we could be in the directory? 
Okay, just down the church directory. And there was a lady in the church that worked for an embroidery company, and she made the pastor jacket. So she made me one, too. And it said, New Life Assembly of God on the back, and it had my name on it, Pastor Mike. And I used to wear it all the time when I came home for church when I was a youth pastor. I never wore it when I was <laughs> in the Olive Garden. But I did walk into 7-Eleven on a number of occasions with that jacket on and a smile on my face. And I bought my Mountain Dew, and I guess, in a happier version than the one that was there. But she remembered. She was watching me. She said, you're a pastor, aren't you? What do you do? What do you do when someone's thirsty? You give them water. Why, yes, I am. Long story short, just had got talking to her. She was having some issues. She need, I prayed with her, invited her to church, and she came out. We didn't have an argument. I didn't sit there and give her the, four, the uh, 16 fundamental truths to the four spiritual laws. I just listened to her, what she was uh, need. I stopped what I was doing. I wanted to go home. I wanted to put my feet up. I wanted to turn on. I don't know, what did we watch at that time? Let's just say Star Trek. And I wanted to relax. But I took time, and I prayed with her. And then, lo and behold, she came to church. I was salt. We're light. We guide people to church. We tell them where to go. If you have a car that needs to be repaired, you send them to the car dealership. If you have a good restaurant that you like to frequent, and somebody asks you where's a good place to eat, you tell them. If someone has a need, you point them to Jesus. C.H. Spurgeon says, as soon as a man has found Christ, he begins to find others. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? Do you remember what it was like to be lonely and empty and afraid? Do you remember what it was like to think you had nowhere to turn? Do you remember what it was like when you didn't think anybody loved you? Be light and tell people that God is willing to transform them. All right, next slide here. It's okay to have strong opinions. If you talk to me, I have lots of strong opinions. Um, it's okay to have passion and to be passionate about things. It's important to be passionate. It's good to be passionate about Things that other people think are nuts, like I'm passionate about the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I was joking about that, super, but I'm, you sit down, I'm serious about that. This is the year. But it doesn't take very long for you to know that I'm really passionate about Jesus. Not in a jump up and down and thump you over the head with my Bible and say, you must be saved, you must be. I believe that. I'm not going to thump you upside the head, though. My passion about Jesus guides what I do. Even in a classroom where I'm teaching nouns and verbs, my calling is to love children so that they know that they are genuinely loved and they matter. The teaching is a secondary part of what I do. But that's the most important thing that I do. Sometimes kids come to school, and that's the only place where they feel loved, and that's the only place where they feel accepted, like they matter. Not every kid. But didn't Jesus say, 
if there was one, he would leave the 99? My passion for Jesus drives who I am and what I do. My perception of the world, my worldview guides my purpose. I know that God has transforming power. I know that I have free access to him. And so that guides me when I step out in faith. Even when I face difficult circumstances, the church has been praying for my brother. My brother just had surgery on Thursday. And uh, it's a big, big road to hoe he has. And that's why, you know, sometimes I make it a point to pray for him. And sometimes members of his family, they kind of roll their eyes like, yeah, well, he's kind of facing a big, he's got a big problem. Well, okay. He can face that big problem alone. Or he can face it with the knowledge that God will face it with him. And that God that's facing it with him has the ability to heal him. And whether he heals him or he doesn't heal him, he has the ability to transform him. We can't forget the power of God. Secondly, we can't forget who we are. Don't be afraid to pray. Pray all the time. Make it be, be your, your, your marker when somebody says, oh, there's that person. If you say something to them, they're going to pray with you. You know what I discovered? They come to you. It's like, oh, I don't really have time. I'm trying to get home. Take the time. Stop what you're doing. And pray. I, I was substitute teaching in Trenton schools, and, a, and the teacher that I was working with, the partner teacher, was talking about surgery that she was having, and she had a lot of anxiety for it. And I just stopped, and I said, you know, would you mind if I just prayed with you right now? And she kind of looked at me and said, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, and I prayed with her, and she felt so much better about facing that surgery because she felt the peace of Jesus. Now, I'd like to say that she ran into my classroom the next day and said, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> but you know, some people are abrasive, and then they're not so abrasive anymore. They had that encounter with Jesus. Be salt, be light. Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to someone who asks you. So it's important to know what you believe. It's important to know doctrine. It's important to know salvation. It's important to know um, those things. It's important to be able to defend your faith. But don't get caught up in that wanting to be an arguer and wanting division and divisive and being passionate about the wrong things. Be passionate about winning people to Jesus, about bringing them to encounter. Not just coming to church, but to encounter Jesus. One of the things that we do in the back, we do two things in the back. Um, one of my concerns, well, we always want kids to have fun. So when your kids come up after you pick them up, hopefully they've got a smile on their face, they've had fun, and they want to come back. Because as a kid, it's all about fun. I remember all the fun that I had when I was a kid. And I look back there and I think, oh, that's, I, that was so much fun. Riding a bike was so much fun. Riding a bike's not fun now. <laughs> Driving a car, that's fun. Okay? So much fun. But I want kids to experience the presence of God. When we sing songs, when we worship, I want them to experience the presence of God. So we continually endeavor to give kids an opportunity to worship God, 
to experience his presence. When we're done with our songs, we'll take a moment, we'll pray. Not every, every Sunday, I won't do the same thing, but every now and then we'll stop and we'll just rest in his presence so the kids can soak up his presence. The second thing that we do is when we pray, before we start the service, I do this every week, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, behold, he is here in our midst. God is with us every Sunday. He is with us every time we meet together. I'll never forget when I was um, with my wife's youth pastor in Hawaii. I just wanted to work it into every sermon that I've been to Hawaii. <laughs> but as I was in her house, we were singing. We just, I think Mariah started it. She was a little girl at the time, and she started singing a song. And then we all started singing in her living room. And at first it started off, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a kid's song. I can't even think of one. This little light of mine. It was something like that. But then we started singing praises to God. And there was a change that happened in that room, in that living room, where we encountered the presence of God. And it was like, whoa. And Judy said to us, she says, it's because we've invoked his presence. He's here. God is here. Right now, what do you mean, right now? In Brownstown? Yeah, he's here right now in Brownstown. And he has the power to meet your need. Doesn't matter how big it is. He has the power to deliver you if you've been carrying things. Somebody asked me after service, do I really believe that you can encounter? Yeah, I really believe that. Do you really believe that we have the access to the Father? Like John, yeah, I really believe that. Because that's what the word teaches. And the days when I don't feel like that, when the days I doubt that, when the days I struggle that, I have to work up my faith and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's here right now. Stand with me as we close. We need to quit viewing the world the way the world wants us to. All is not lost. There is nothing new under the sun. Different names, different faces. Different rulers, different kingdoms. Different names for different wars. Understand, when God saw all the kingdoms of the world over history, it was Nebuchadnezzar's statue. That was it. Our God took all of history and placed it in a statue. And if you do a little um, eschatology and you find out about Daniel and the ten toes, the, they were made out of clay. The history from, uh, from was it the Roman Empire, Rome, to today, all the 20th century, is found in ten toes of clay. Don't get caught up in what the world is saying about what's going on out there. Realize who God is. God sets up rulers and God causes them to fall. And they all are submissive to the rock, who's Jesus. Get a vision for how big God is. Get a vision for the power of Christ. 
and the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus and declare that today. That's why a lot of the stories that we use, we, we talk about them with analogies. Okay, there's a giant in your life. David slayed a Goliath. Oh, but the storms are coming on. Jesus calmed the storm. Oh, but there's this great... Moses part of the Red Sea. God is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. Church, get a hold of the power of God in your life. Remember who it is that you serve. Remember who you are. Not how you feel. Not how your circumstance. Don't let that distract you. When the prodigal son was off living, living wild living, he was still the son. When he was amongst the pigs yearning for their slop, he was still the son. But when he turned to the father, the father was able to embrace him and he put the coat on him and let him know, it doesn't matter what you did. It matters who you are. Your identity does not change in Jesus. He loves you. You don't know how much God loves you. You have an idea. We talk about the passion. I talked about it. We have no idea how much God loves us. Remember that. You have free access to the Father. Not just to ask for things. You can ask for things. Go ahead, ask. But you can have access to His presence. So go with boldness. Spend time and encounter Him today. He's here. Let Him change your heart. I talked about how you've been transformed. You know that you've been transformed. That happens immediately when you put your faith in Christ and you get born again. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. But how many know that as we go through life, sometimes that stuff creeps in again? There's a phrase we used to use called killing the old man. Jesus gives us the analogy of carrying a cross. We take that cross with us. We carry that cross. That's an instrument of death for it to symbolize that we die daily. It's okay if you've forgotten some of these things. It's okay if you are struggling. It's okay that you're still working out yourself. It's okay. Bring it to the cross. Encounter Jesus today. Let him change you today. Today is the day of salvation. We use a big word, theological term called sanctification, which means we are washed daily. We used to use this term, we're washed in the blood. It means we apply what Jesus did on the cross to our lives daily. Are you washed in the blood today? Have you come to his presence today? And then look up and look out. There's a world that needs Jesus. I'm convinced more and more each and every day that Jesus is coming. More convinced. The world desperately needs Jesus. They need you and I to be salt. They need you and I to be light. 
that you need you and I to be a witness. My car's broke, where do I go? Well, let me tell you where I go. I go to True Care Auto. I'm hungry, I need to go to a new restaurant. Let me tell you where I go. I go to Big Bear Lodge. You'll always get a good meal there at Big Bear Lodge. Spent time working there. There hasn't been one thing on their menu that I've tried that I didn't like. That's being a witness. That's giving a testimony. Let me tell you, Jesus changed my life when I was 17 years old, and I've never been the same since. Have I had rough times? Yes, I have. Have I had difficult times? Yes, I have. But God has always been faithful. You want more? I'll sit and I'll tell you the stories, the testimonies in my life of what God has done specifically in my life and in my ministry as I've served him and how he's been faithful. So a little longer, I'll tell you my struggles too, and then you can pray with me. Church, remember, the world needs Jesus. Rescue the perishing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to share it. I thank, Lord, that you are faithful to anoint it. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this service that doesn't know you, that they would hear about the demoniac that had a need that ran to you and you deliver them, and they'd say, Lord, I want that. Here I am, Lord. Save me, deliver me, make me different. Transform me, Lord. I pray for them that they would see your power. Lord, I pray for us as a church that you remind us of our privilege that we are children of the Most High God, that we have access to the creator of the universe, that we cry out, Abba, Daddy. Just like John John could go to the Oval Office anytime he wanted, we can come in, come and go freely. God, I pray that you'd give us a burden for the lost, that we would corporately pray that we would be involved in things like missions, that we would be involved in things like evangelism, that we would be involved in ministry, such as uh, youth ministry or kids ministry or small groups. But that we would also be involved individually with the people that we love and who know us best. That we would be a witness, that we would be salt, that we would be light, that we would be prayer partners. There would be the person to come to when you need so we can point to you. Father, I thank you for this church and pray that you continue to bless it. Bless Pastor and Becky as they are uh, on furlough. Bless the pastoral staff as they are faithful to you. And God, I pray that you would hold this candlestick, this lampstand, so it would shine brightly in this community and that it would draw people to you, to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.